When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode of Conspiracy Unlimited, NASA's oldest active astronaut tells an audience at a London museum we can't return to the moon because we lost or destroyed the technology. A likely story, says NoMoreGames.net founder Morgan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, we can't go back. Well, the, uh, we've never been. This podcast is brought to you by Family Bunker Designs. If you believe things are headed in a scary direction these days, then you'll want to listen to this message. Four years ago, John Hartman, a retired military man and certified disaster and survival expert, created the ultimate solution to keep his family safe from danger. He built a family survival bunker. With the advice of experts, he decided to share what he learned and publish the ultimate guide to family bunker construction. His designs are highly affordable, yet your family bunker will be safe well-hidden, and strong enough to withstand almost any disaster or terrorist attack. These days, with so many threats out there, a safe hideout is essential for security. And right now, when you order the Family Bunker Guide, you'll get three bonus survival guides absolutely free. Don't put it off. Get this life-saving information now. Learn more at clearbroadcast.com. That's clearbroadcast.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Well, a bit of a break from the cold snap we've been enduring up here in Canada. The ice and the snow melted today. The sun came out and those glorious warm rays beat down on our driveway. And suddenly it was free of ice and snow and nice and dry and just perfect for a little ball hockey. 
So I got outside with my twin boys, North and Zach, with our gloves and our sticks and a nice dead tennis ball that doesn't bounce too much, uh, and our net, of course. Just a wonderful little two-on-one for a half an hour. And I have to say, I absolutely crushed them. I still have the moves. I was stick handling like Gilbert Perrault and deking like Mitch Marner. It feels really good, I have to say, at the ripe old age of 54 to have absolutely destroyed a couple of 11-year-olds and their aspirations of ever playing in the NHL. Yeah, father of the year. All right, uh, reality check. I lasted about 10 minutes before I doubled over, winded, gasping for air, actually. And that was just uh, uh, while bending over to tie my shoes. For a moment, I thought I was having a stroke or a coronary or, or both. Anyway, I, I, you know, I've forgotten how much uh, taking a cold, wet tennis ball to the side of the face stings. What a horrible idea. Ball hockey. Never again. You know what else might never happen again? NASA may never return to the moon. At least not a manned mission. Have a listen to this. This is a NASA uh, engineer and their oldest active astronaut, Dan Pettit, 62 during an interview in London, England last year. I'd go to the moon in a nanosecond. Uh, The problem is we don't have the technology to do that anymore. We used to, but we uh, destroyed that technology and uh, it's a painful process to build it back again. So you got that? He said he'd go back to to the moon in a nanosecond. But the problem is NASA destroyed the technology. Oh, how convenient. Sounds a little weird on the surface. I suppose it's possible. But call me crazy, I actually believe we went to the moon in July of 69. I, I, I do. But then, whenever I talk to this guy coming up, he always causes me to doubt myself and think, well, maybe it was just a big hoax. Morgan Reynolds, Ph.D., is Professor Emeritus at Texas A&M University and former director of the Criminal Justice Center at the National Center for Policy Analysis, headquartered in Dallas, Texas. He served as chief economist for the U.S. Department of Labor during 2001-2002. That was George W. Bush's first term. He's the founder of the popular alternative news site NoMoreGames.net, where he blogs regularly about the deep state, false flag operations, and of course, yes, the lunar landing hoax. Morgan Reynolds, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Hey, I'm very good. I'm glad to be with you tonight, Richard. You know, it's it's always interesting, fun. I would I would even use the word fun to describe talking about the lunar landing hoax. And you know, for the record, I'm I've always been kind of back and forth on this one. And you know, you you have made some incredibly compelling arguments uh, against uh, you know Apollo 11 and and the subsequent uh, lunar landing missions. As I say, I'm back and forth. One of the more interesting discussions I had was with the uh, distributor of Nexus magazine, Marcus Allen, about uh, the um, the unlikelihood that the uh, the Hasenblad cameras that they used could have been operated under those conditions and so forth. Uh, and I'm sure we can we can we can talk about that. But first of all, there's new grist for the mill. Uh, Morgan regarding the lunar landing hoax, and it comes by way of a 62-year-old uh, NASA uh, engineer and an astronaut by the name of Dan Pettit, uh, who says, conveniently, we can't go back to the moon because NASA lost all the technology. <laughs> 
yeah, we can't go back. Well, the, uh, we've never been there. <laughs> now, uh, the, you know, one of the biggest tragedies of this uh, entire, uh, we could call it a farce, uh, but it's, it's a really a, a tragedy, um, is that it's holding um, humankind back from uh, deep space uh, exploration, human space exploration. Because uh, the whole NASA um, establishment, uh, well beyond its its immediate purvey purview, uh, is um, uh, just keeping the big secret, the big lie, from and not admitting it, and uh, they just are, are pretending, pretending, pretending that we did uh, put um, humans. Uh, beyond uh, low Earth orbit, and it's just a lie. We have to start from scratch. They did not have the technology then. They do not have the technology now. Now, before we get into you know why it wasn't technologically feasible back in 1969, let's just, for those who, who didn't hear about Don Pettit, this NASA astronaut, and his statement, uh, this was... I think back in May of 2017, and he was speaking at some science museum in London. But what was what what was the context? He, he didn't just get up in front of a microphone and say, "Hey, folks, we lost the technology." Do you know anything more about what why he was talking in London and and what else he said? Uh, you know, I don't really. I uh, I haven't looked at that. Uh, there's been a couple of articles where, uh, and including a film clip of him uh, making the statement that we can't go back, that we lost and, and it would, we lost the technology and uh, it'd be too painful to recover it. Uh, I'm paraphrasing his words. And if you look on uh, Wikipedia, uh, you'll find that, yeah, this is the guy. This is the guy. I mean, Wikipedia is the, of uh, course, found of conventional establishment wisdom. <laughs> so, he he we have a video of him uh, like one of one of the people on uh, my website or blog uh, nomoregames.net uh said oh i i got it off a a, an, a, a disreputable uh, uh website and i'm going hey what what about this video well i never heard from him again but and actually you sent me a a web page that was uh, a different source. What was it called? Yournewswire.com, as I recall. Right, right. Yeah, so I don't know what the confab was, but there's been uh, a lot of admissions before these big gatherings of professionals. For example, um, here's one from uh, the, uh, the NASA chief administrator, this was March 26, 2002. Sean O'Keefe was his name. He told his audience of aerospace professionals that NASA um, ha- faced two key technical obstacles to expo- human exploration of space. One was power and propulsion in deep space, and two was hazardous radiation in uh, the environment for humans traveling beyond Earth. <laughs> now, they, we come across all these indirect admissions that, hey, uh, we didn't really, they don't really talk about Apollo very much. They can't really. Uh, back in March 
um, I did the tourist um, tour of the Kennedy Space Center. We happened to be down there on the uh, Atlantic coast in Florida for a few weeks as part of an RV trip. And uh, you, you go, you get on the big tour bus and, I'm sure the bus driver uh, believes everything he's saying about how, you know, we're going to go to Mars by 2040. They give these destinations. It's not about the destination. It's about the technological ability. Okay? Right. right. We've all got uh, highly reliable internal combustion uh, automobiles and trucks light vehicles and hey we can go uh, just about anywhere on land uh, well off-road if you want a jeep but uh it's not about so they they keep on you can just tell that this thing is in in tatters and on its it's on its last legs i want to i want to go back to uh to to, to don pettit for a moment because i was just rereading here one of the articles and 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 i believe in the transcript what he actually said was we destroyed not that we lost the technology, it was destroyed. Uh, but I'm wondering, and let me just play devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, you're saying we never went to the moon, so Don Pettit was partially right, is that, you know, we can't go back to the moon, and you're saying it's because we never were there in the first place. We didn't have the technology, not that we destroyed it. But one of the counter-arguments is that we could go back, but the problem is... NASA and the government wouldn't allow it just because the risk tolerance we had back then during the space waste was far greater. Uh, it wouldn't be tolerated today. What do you what do you what do you think about that? Like it'd be, for example, well, I, I don't buy that no? for a minute. It's like um, uh, one person uh, observes in print that uh, can you imagine uh, that we had uh, two dead astronauts on the moon? And uh, most nights uh, here on planet Earth, we can see the moon, okay? (laughs) And we would be constantly reminded of this, you know, that the U.S. government uh, failed this badly. So I I, I don't think that, uh, you know, that uh, there are, uh, what, the valuation of human life is... uh, changed uh, drastically in fact you could argue it's a, it's degraded but uh, so it would it would have been the whole thing about uh, uh, Apollo and the lunar landings is it was all about politics it wasn't about um, science really or uh, making it happen and uh, you know Jack Kennedy announces and uh, I think it was 1961. Hey, we're gonna, um, you know, put a man on uh, on the moon and bring him back alive by before the decade is up, which sounded like, oh yeah, we got plenty of time to do this. And uh, the whole the U.S. Uh, from the point uh, of 1958, Sputnik, you know, panicked a lot of Americans, and the Pentagon started, hey, you know what? If we got to get to the moon first. Uh, because that that'd be a great platform. That's high ground. You know, we can uh, um, do a lot of killing from space. We need to get there before the the Soviets. Who knows? You know, it's just uh, it's it's just uh, absurd. Because the whole thing uh, was about politics, not about uh, uh, technological know-how. And further, of course, the U.S. was being embarrassed. We take such pride in our uh, uh, inventiveness, 
it now is true the U.S. is the biggest contributor to um, inventions and uh, pro-productivity, et cetera, in the world. Something like 50% of invent and, and uh, hey, I encourage all uh, nations to do better and contribute to the, uh, the thriving of mankind, including uh, travel and uh, space beyond uh, low Earth orbit. But um, we, do, we should recognize, let's admit, that NASA was a front for the Pentagon and the CIA, and uh, all the all the frilly, um, you know, the the videos and all that stuff, which are proven uh, beyond reasonable doubt to be uh, faked. You know, from shadows right. going the wrong way, on and on. We could go on. Well, I, I was data. I, I found Marcus Allen's uh, argument uh, about the use of a Hasenblad camera on the surface of the moon and the the extreme heat and the extreme cold and how a mechanical camera would not possibly operate under that under right that. and the film that it can't it cannot work uh, you know there's this great book by uh, Mary Bennett and David Percy called Dark Moon and the subtitle is this is 1999 book Apollo and the Whistleblowers and uh, they you know they interview this is on YouTube included they interview uh, the Hasselblad uh, guy um, <laughs> in Sweden, and uh, oh, I cannot explain that. You know, it's uh, yeah. You go from uh, conventional wisdom, conventional science says in sunlight uh, that the temperature on the on the moon, which, which has uh, no atmosphere, uh, is two hundred and fifty degrees Fahrenheit, and then you go in the shadows, it's two minus two hundred and fifty uh, degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, ballpark numbers. And uh, this this is just a conventional uh, camera can't and film couldn't work. Now I'm not a, a, a photo expert, uh, but I'm I'm convinced by uh, Bennett and Percy, they do quite a, a a number on this issue. Well, the other thing is try looking into a viewfinder on a camera with that big space helmet on. You can't do it. They, well, they don't. They didn't even pretend to do that. You know that it was mounted on the space suit around the navel, so they can't make any adjustments. And then, uh, you know, the Jack White, uh, the well-known now deceased um, uh, photo analyst from uh, Fort Worth, Texas, he does a great uh, a bit on Aulis, which is on one of these great uh, websites, a u l i s dot com. Go there for. Um, quite a, quite a uh, well-informed uh, uh, analysis of, of this, but what, he did a uh, time study of all the, the all these pictures that NASA uh, puts up are perfectly posed, perfectly formed, and there's no way you can do this from um, uh, a, a, a suit mount here uh, down on your navel, and these pictures show up. There's at least one every minute. <laughs> so right. what else are they doing? Right. You know, they pose so many. We know from, just from that fact that it, this is done in a uh, mock-up. Of course, they admitted that they had these sets, these moon sets. That's to supposedly, you know, train the astronauts for uh, their their forthcoming missions. But, 
you know, come right. on. Right, no cut-off heads. I mean, I remember my, my grandmother, God rest her soul, she had one of those old cameras with the big flash bulb on the side, and you look down into the viewfinder. And even with that big viewfinder, she was always cutting off heads. And as you say, these photographs uh, uh, on the moon, I don't see any cut off heads. I don't see anything that's out of focus. As you say, they're all beautifully framed. How do you do that? Adjusting (laughs) the, you know, the manual focus with those big gardening gloves. And and, and how do you even press the shutter, the shutter button? Yeah, it it. uh, And then, you know, one of my critics is saying, why don't you go ask NASA? Why don't you go ask the, the contractors? Well, Bennett and Percy do this. And what do they get? You know, evasions. Right. Evasions. Right. See, and and yeah, it, then they'll argue, well, this is just too big a uh, conspiracy to pull off. Uh, oh, really? What happened there in January 1967 on Apollo 1? You know, uh, uh, it, well, Gus Grissom and Ed White and Roger Chafee died a horrible death in yes. that capsule. It was a 100% oxygen pressure cap. And guess what? You know, a little ignition. They had bad wires. That was a murder. That was a triple murder. And, of course, Gus Grissom was the most popular <clears throat> astronaut, the Apollo astronaut. And he hung a, a lemon on a, on a previous occasion from the um, command module. And this is junk. Okay, this was by North American Rockwell was the prime uh, contractor for it. And, of course, they got over two million parts and everything came together together beautifully. You know, oh, good. They could never get the, the, the space shuttle, you know, trouble free. <laughs> right. But everything worked great back in 1969 through 1972. Right. It is. Now, here's, you know, the famous statement about uh, extraordinary uh, – uh, evidence requires extraordinary, or pardon me, you know, if you got an extraordinary event, it requires extraordinary proof. Right. And that's where we're at. You prove it up, NASA. Well, they've been stuck for uh, how many years now? Uh, let's see, you know, uh, f- roughly 40 years, for over 40 years now. And they haven't done really duck squat in terms of um, beyond low Earth orbit. They well, haven't. Well, one of the arguments that we cannot explore deep space has to do with radiation. And yes. in particular, the people talk about the Van Allen belts ad nauseum. But these, these belts, what are they, about 400 uh, to about 6,000 miles above the surface of oh, our planet? Oh, by the way, that's disputed, you know. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Uh, first of all, it's two two uh, belts. Yes, kind of and, and then belts. they're flexible or movable, or um, and you know James Van Allen, uh, who's uh, attributed with the or uh, credited with the discovery of this um, a huge obstacle, um, said they were they range from fifty five thousand to sixty four thousand miles out. Ah. Now NASA tries to you know like you said there's six thousand. I don't think anybody thinks it's that uh, low altitude. But at any rate, they start at about 600 miles. So all this business about, you know, orbiting uh, the Earth at 250 miles and people can stay on the International Space Station for 
um, six months uh, without any uh, serious. Well, guess what? They're protected by the Van Allen belts. Okay. And then, okay, now it's not only the Van Allen belts. Which well, but, but the, the, the space shuttle and, and the, um, the International Space Station, they're well below that, right? They're about 190 right. to about 330 yeah. miles out. Yeah, yeah. It, it starts to get uh, problematic at uh, 300 miles, roughly. Okay. So it's, they, they stay below that. And we should point out for people but, who, who aren't familiar with the Van Allen belts, the, our magnetic field traps you know, these charged protons, and it's it's radiation. Electrons, yeah. yeah. And by the, hey, this is an interesting, uh, uh, people think radiation is, is, is pure poison, but uh, I went to a talk given by a local uh, Polish scientist, and um, she argues uh, against the conve- that conventional view, and actually a little bit of radiation is good for your health. Mm. <laughs> I'm not here to prove that. but All right, that's another show. <laughs> that's another show. Yeah, okay, so, uh, the, but the, a space, uh, of course, is extremely dangerous. The Apollo um, um, flights had n- zero protection against any kind of radiation. And, of course, it's known to be... Um, uh, 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 they say, "Oh, we got through it in an hour or two. Yeah, because yeah, there are I, there are there are regions of the Van Allen belts that are uh, more more dense in terms of the because they sent uncrewed probes there, uh, and they they can tell where the yeah. The, there's that the, South Atlantic. Um, what do they call it? SSAA that. Uh, Orbiting uh, satellites and ISS. Uh, right. So if you if you do, you can you can minimize the exposure uh, by depending on where you you cross through these Van Allen belts. Yes, you'll get some radiation. I think they said it was the equivalent of having a couple of two CT scans uh, worth of radiation. Not something you want to do all the time. No, I don't believe that. Okay. You know, this whole business um, is is a very under researched. Now, I'm an alarmist about radiation because it's not just the, the Van Allen belts, which uh, keep us in this sweet spot. Uh, we, are, we have a, a certain distance from the sun that uh, makes us a pro-life. And then we, we've got um, the protections of our electromagnetic uh, fields, the Van Allen belts. But you get beyond the Van Allen belts, <clears throat> we have galactic cosmic rays everywhere. Yes. You have micro meteorites. Then you have uh, what we used to call sun flares, and they want to call solar particle events. Well, the, these um, uh, flares are incredible, and they're unpredictable. And it turns out, uh, here again, I refer to uh, the, the great research by Bennett and Percy that the number of flares or solar particle events daily during the Apollo uh, missions were 16.9 daily. Hmm. These things are incredibly deadly. No, And, uh, you know, there, there's, there's uh, one of these scientists for uh, NASA, Kelly Smith, admits that, uh, yeah, radiation is a real problem. My uh, former administrator the point is, the these uh, the, the whole environment of space is deadly, and uh, to actually uh, provide real protection against um, all this radiation requires, oh, on the order of a meter of to be surrounded by a meter of lead or two meters of of water. 
I mean, in other words, you, you can't lift this stuff. Right, Furthermore, right. Furthermore, you, you can't walk on a planet uh, like um, the moon, which has no protection against incoming. Right. I just remember the old uh, film days and, and uh, taking my, um, uh, I can't even remember the ASA, the film speed, anyway, through the, uh, the, the security at the airport, and it would get fogged just because of the x-rays. And <laughs> we're supposed to believe that all of that film came back in pristine condition with all the radiation up there. Well, never mind airport security. How about internet security? I bring that up because internet security experts keep telling us we should use a different password for every website. But imagine, that's a nightmare, keeping track of all of those different passwords for online shopping and banking and email and other essentials. While complicated passwords can be more secure, they're also very hard to remember. Well, finally, here's a great solution. It's called RoboForm. You never need to remember or type a password ever again. RoboForm gives you stronger passwords and faster logins, all with a single click. It keeps all your devices in sync. And when you shop online, get this, RoboForm fills in those long address forms with one single click. It's available for Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android for personal or business use. And for peace of mind, RoboForm has around-the-clock support. It's one great solution for online security. Learn more at OneGreatSolution.com. That's OneGreatSolution.com. In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was, what, what a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Morgan Reynolds of NoMoreGames.net is with us, and we're talking about the lunar landing hoax. One of the areas that, that you really delve into, and, and not of, I haven't read a lot of other sort of lunar landing hoax um, researchers talk about, uh, as you mentioned off the top, the technology and the idea that the, the lunar module uh could could dock uh with the um the what is it called the command service the, the command, command slash service module but right. uh, it used to be just command module okay yeah. so explain to me the uh the lunar mount module uh which is what landed on the moon and how that connects with the command uh module and why that yeah. is so unlikely Right. Uh, well, you have a descent problem. Well, let's suppose, uh, uh, let's believe NASA and this command mo- module is in orbit around the moon. It's traveling uh, about 4,000 miles per hour. It's doing uh, a complete orbit on, I forget the exact, but roughly uh hour and a half or a little bit more. Okay. Now, uh, the, the, lunar, the lunar module's got to separate from the command module. And by the way, I, I'm not saying uh, all of this, these ideas of multiple craft are really dumb. I think they are uh, sound, uh, basically. Okay, but uh, the lunar module has got uh, on it, so this is going to be the landing uh, module, or LEM, sometimes termed. Right. It's going to... It has two uh, rocket engines on, on, on it. Now, one uh, is the descent motor, okay? 
And this is presumably uh, separable from the ascent uh, capsule, okay? And uh, this descent motor has got to be, you know, doing the reverse thing. It's going to be uh, 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 Neil Armstrong is presumably going <laughs> to back this thing down onto the surface of the moon. Now, right now, you're really pulling against my uh, credibility, okay? Because <laughs> we have we we have a YouTube of one of these practice um, um, landing uh, modules, and uh, that thing was powered by a jet uh, engine instead of a rocket, and it's operating in in our Earth atmosphere, and it almost killed uh, Neil Armstrong because he lost control of it. And it starts going this way and that, and uh, these side thrusters are, are I can't uh, balance this uh, thing and make it behave. And he uh, ejected uh, w uh, just seconds before he would have been killed. This thing crashed. So nobody had ever done this before, you know, back this uh, uh, thing up. And supposedly it had uh, 10,000 pounds of thrust. It's arguable, it's likely that it had no throttle. In other words, a typical, you know, you ignite the, the, the kerosene and liquid oxygen, that sucker's going to burn. Right. <laughs> right. So in other words, doing a controlled descent like that, uh, it, given the technology at the time and the onboard Apollo guidance computer, it just... It, it, yeah, it, they had uh, the... Uh, the Wikipedia site, of course, says they had, yeah, we had computers on board, but they were equivalent to the first home computers um, the, in the early 80s. Yeah, okay? the Commodore PET that's, and so forth. That, that, that's how much computing power. They, they, and they got to, you know, recalculate, recalculate. Anyway, so the descent is a heck of a problem. And uh, as I point out, you know, it, there should have been dust flying all over. Uh, the rocket engine is right below uh, the capsule, so that uh, noise, vibration, and harshness uh, should have been, uh, you shouldn't have been able to hear um, uh, Aldrin and, and um, uh, Neil Young, Neil Young? Uh, Armstrong. <laughs> yes. Neil Armstrong. Neil Young and Crazy Horse, from the yeah. moon, live on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many problems, yeah, and there wasn't any. And now, actually, there's a, a pro NASA book out by a guy named Andrew Smith, where uh, he he redoes this. Well, you know, there was a huge dust storm, which would have been uh, a real problem, and uh, the the Mars rover landing supposedly worked its way around this problem, but it would have been a problem on the uh, 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 the moon landing. Uh, but in any case, uh, the the, the rocket engine the thrust would have melted rock and uh, fused rock and then there's this whole problem of uh, is it a level site or are you going to just tip over you know and uh, so but let's suppose you solved all that right so the descent then, let's say then, goes smoothly you uh, so the descent works okay now uh, they only spent uh, apparently two hours i think in apollo 11 on the surface of the moon, but after, you know, uh, subsequent flights, oh, we're golfing and you know, <laughs> spending 72 hours on the surface of the moon. Well, uh, now, the, how are we going to get, uh, so how are we going to get uh, the ascent to work? Oh, this is a huge problem. Because, uh, so what's going to happen is that this second motor 
is is going to ignite and we're going to free ourselves from the descent motor stage. Okay, so uh, we're going to rock it on up. And uh, of course, we got to have a lot of computing power because we got to catch the command module. Right, you have to rendezvous with it, which is traveling at 4,000 miles an hour. And uh, it turns out that this was the first time two ships like this had ever docked. <laughs> two man, um, two man's. Uh, two, uh, so everything is working. It's just an incredible thing. Right. Um, and and uh, okay, so uh, it, it, we, well, we should point out it had two manned ve- space vehicles had docked, but it was in low Earth orbit. I think the Soviets did it. The Soviets, yeah, the that's Soviets, in low Earth orbit. Uh, though. They're, four they're, and five did it. Yeah, yeah. they're not traveling they at four thousand miles an hour. But they are uh, two hundred forty thousand miles in deep space. <laughs> right. So, uh, okay, and then uh, it says one scientist says, you know, this uh, that I quote in uh, my recent article. Uh, this is where uh, th- this ascent stage and uh, catching up and. Um, Docking with other craft is real rocket science because yeah, the orbital plane, as they call it, can be a little bit off. Remember, you're out here in uh, – this is like being on the high seas when uh, you're in the 15th century uh, of, of mariner uh, – the mariner arts. You know, you're, you're out there. And uh, so this this whole thing is unbelievable. And then – we're going to dump the um, ascent craft, uh, and we're all going to get on. We'll all be, all three of us will be on board the command service module. Now, here's uh, uh, let's suppose we've got some fuel and we're able to um, get near uh, back near Earth. Now, what's our next problem? The, the big problem now is that uh, there's a guy named Phil Kaut. I was just reading it. Hey, this guy is uh, truly a rocket uh, scientist. Here's your big problem is reentry. How, how much of a heat shield do these guys have on, on this command module? Uh, right. <laughs> and we're going we're to do a direct entry. So we're coming in at 20,000 miles an hour. You know, and the, the amount of space they take up over the ocean, it looks to me like it's maybe 500 miles. This is a steep angle. Well, these guys are going to burn up. I mean, we're talking, uh, it's, it's a huge inferno. It's, uh, it's in the thousands of degrees Fahrenheit. So now the Russians have done, like in uh, so many other areas of uh, space exploration and uh, they they uh, have practiced skip reentry. Now NASA is talking about skip reentry. So mm-hmm. in other words, you come in and then okay, you uh, you, you lose some uh, speed, but you're not really burning up in a direct entry. Okay, and then you you go up, uh, rise up, and then you know so you skip around and until you're able to. Uh, bring these temperatures uh, in, into a reasonable alignment with survival. So the whole thing, and b- by the way, here's, uh, uh, of course, they had to do a lot of deceit, a lot of lying here. Uh, and uh, one um, 
observer saw a uh, an unmarked airplane dump a capsule out the back. I mean, it must have been a C-5A or something, you know, hmm. uh, out in the Pacific. So I mean, I'm just saying there was only one claimed sighting of this, but they've got to uh, practice a lot of deception. And, they, you know, how the whole th- how can they have such precision landing at an identified target uh, space on the moon? Okay, and then we're searching for them over this uh, 100 by 100 or whatever mile area it is. <laughs> okay, you know they can't get this right. It's it, you know? it seems like they 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 completed 100 consecutive hail mary passes. Uh, <laughs> but you know this question always comes up: the height of the Cold War, the the Soviets surely would have known if this had been faked. Why didn't they embarrass their Cold War enemies and call them out on it? Why don't they do it now? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's called brothers in arms. Well, first of all, we don't know why they didn't rat out the U.S. on this, uh, but. There's some uh, reasonable conjecture. I actually uh, answered one of my um, uh, emailers on a previous. Here, I'm just scrolling through this. uh, But, okay, possibilities. One is the best of enemy charade, Hmm. right? The space race, militarization, national security state, etc., like the war on Islam. At least it started out as mostly a a fake, right? Uh, We get... Uh, notice how the, the ballet between the Soviet Union and the U.S. who had alternating space achievements, but the uh, Soviets were ahead. And of course, we rely on their rocket, reliable, powerful rockets to get our uh, people and cargo up to the International Space Station to this day. Okay. Uh, secondly, there's too many skeletons in the Soviet closet, <laughs> right? So the Soviet space program has stuff to hide. Uh, for example, it's uh, widely argued that uh, Yuri Gagarin was not the first Soviet uh, cosmonaut uh, in space, but uh, uh, his predecessor died in space, so wow. they didn't advertise that. And then number three, well, we'll, uh, we'll wait for others to rat out the USA. Or let time do it for us. We'll sound like sore losers today, you know, that they they got these guys uh, uh, manned on the moon and returned them before we did. <clears throat> but uh, what, to the Soviets' credit, they weren't going to uh, do it or, uh, until we had technology that would uh, allow us to have a, a good, a low risk chance of succeeding, you know, I mean, a low risk of of a loss of life. Well, sometime this year, the Chinese are supposed to land a probe, a soft landing on the far side of the moon. This is this is something no one has even tried before. And they seem to be hell-bent on putting boots on the ground on the lunar <clears throat> surface. They say sometime in the, uh, uh, in the early 2030s, so in about 12 years from now. So if they can't do it i suppose it'll all the big lie will finally be laid bare well the uh that sounds like the the kind of forecasting that nasa does right you know it's always a good 15 years out there you know it's just so it's it's just uh hard to believe 
It's like when I was being uh, escorted around uh, along with other a, a bus full of people at the Kennedy Space Center. It's just nonsense. It was, you know what it reminded me of was uh, back in 1982, I was at a conference in West Berlin, Germany, when uh, the East Germany was still under Soviet uh, rule. Right. And uh, this was a group of free market uh, economists and think tankers and advocates. So it was a pretty savvy group. We were all on this bus, and the the, the guy is telling us in English uh, that, uh, oh, look at there. There's the uh, the East German uh, brewery, which all the people own. And we all, <laughs> you know, elbow each other. I want to sell my shares and get the hell out of here, you know. Right. But, and, and then he, he, he talked about the wall dividing uh, West and East Berlin, and he referred to it as the anti-fascist barrier. That's right to keep them to keep everyone out of paradise, <laughs> <laughs> the workers' paradise. Yes. Well, it's like so the the Potemkin that's, village that's, that Kim Jong Kennedy space tour sounded uh, just as phony to me. Right, my my ear. A Potemkin village. Yes. Wow. Well, uh, I guess we should thank Dan Pettit, the uh, NASA astronaut engineer, for uh, providing some more grist for the mill and again uh, saying that we can't go back to the moon because we destroyed all that technology. So here we go around again. It's always uh, a great speaking to you, Morgan, and I always enjoy this, uh, this conversation, the lunar landing hoax. Thank you, Richard. Nomoregames.net is the website. Nomoregames.net. Well, that was fun. All right, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, a couple of things we need to take care of. I want to tell you what's coming up on the next episode of Conspiracy Unlimited. But before that, it is Friday, and so it is time for our weekly draw. Now, if you haven't heard about the contest, here's what you need to do. You subscribe to Conspiracy Unlimited, if you haven't already done so, and then you rate and review it. Rate and review it, and take a screenshot of that, and then email it to me at richardserrett1 at gmail.com. Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, the number one, at gmail.com. And then every Friday, and it is Friday, the emails uh, go into this big plastic jar, uh, which used to hold... Uh, cheese puffs or something that we bought at Costco. It's one of those novelty-sized containers of cheese puffs. I didn't eat a single one, I swear. Anyway, here we go. And this week's winner is... Here we are. Uh, Bill and Judy uh, listening in Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska. So Bill and Judy, I will send out... A, uh, a copy of my CD, Strange Planet, Volume 1, which is a collection of my radio feature that airs up here in Canada. And uh, Bill and Judy, thank you for that. And again, if you'd like to participate in next week's draw, simply subscribe to Conspiracy Unlimited. Then rate and review it. Grab a screenshot of that and email it to me at richardserrett one at gmail.com. Good luck. All right, well, 2018 is off to a flying start. Hard to believe January has almost come and gone. And I know still a lot of you are are still thinking about weight loss and and, uh, holding fast to your New Year's resolution. Unfortunately, let's be honest, the commitment to weight loss fades quickly. 
usually in about the first 90 days, in fact. The key, though, to success is having the right mindset. Getting thin and staying that way lies in our thought processes. And hypnotherapy can make all the difference. So now, clinical hypnotherapist Dr. Steve Jones has created a set of five audio hypnotic sessions that apply the power of hypnosis, and they can help you reprogram your mind, replace bad habits with vibrant, positive new habits, and help you achieve natural and long-lasting weight loss. Weight loss hypnotherapy really works, and it's available now at a special discount. Isn't it time to lose those extra pounds? Check out weight loss hypnotherapy right now at smartclicksavings.com. That's smartclicksavings.com. Next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, is it possible to run your car engine on water? Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>